listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. On today's show, I'm going to talk about resources for job candidates in IT security, cybersecurity, and systems engineering, network engineering, that type of stuff. As I think all the listeners know, I try to focus on podcast topics and radio show topics that are related to things that I frequently get asked about. And lately, there has really been a lot of challenges for uh, individuals who are interested in getting good jobs and start getting good experience in the IT services industry. Uh, specifically, they want to be, you know, systems engineers or network engineers. And, you know, they're really struggling because it's very difficult as an employer to hire someone who does not have adequate uh, pre-existing technical skills. And a lot of the job candidates think that they're going to get those adequate technical skills by going to an academic institution. And I'm not against academic institutions. I have a master's degree myself. I have a lot of technical certifications as well. What the people need to realize, though, is that there is a massive limitation in what academic training can do for you. So I think academic training can be useful in helping you understand concepts, but it's very difficult to really make sense out of those concepts unless you have something concrete that you can compare that to and apply that to in terms of uh, as you're studying, you know, you're, you're like, how would I possibly use this in the real world? And in fact, some job candidates that I've talked to have expressed exactly that to me. They've said, you know, I went and I studied this stuff and I'm really struggling with, you know, trying to figure out how might I actually use that. And they have almost across the board all said to me, that their academic training does not really give them adequate hands-on. So what I am going to try to do with this particular episode here is to drive clarity around these particular issues that are so frustrating for people who are trying to build their skill sets. You know, people are applying for jobs they're not qualified for, and they're frustrated because they're like, hey, I went and I got this undergraduate degree, or I got this master's degree in, you know, computer science or information technology or whatever it happens to be. And, you know, frankly, they're not employable. And they're very frustrated as to why are they not employable. And the reason they're not employable most of the time is because they just have no actual experience doing things that are technically difficult. So if you've worked at Best Buy and you've worked for the, you know, the Geek Squad, that can be useful. But are you, have you had experience doing servers? Do you understand networking? Do you understand network layer security strategies? Have you set up Office 365 tenants? You know, so there is no substitute for you doing these things in your own home environment. The number one thing I tell people is don't expect your employer to spend a bunch of money on a test lab of equipment and things and then pay you to sit around and mess around with it. 
Like that's not the employer's job. So your job is to have the skill set that you need in order to be able to do the job you want to do, that you have applied for and that you are, you know, getting hired to do. So if you're looking for an accelerator button, which is, you know, how do I go from where I'm at, regardless of my background, how do I go from where I'm at to the place I want to be, which is I want to be a cybersecurity systems engineer, a cybersecurity centric network engineer. Uh, I want to be able to do lots of interesting different things. Well, <laughs> there's only one way to get there. Yes, there's a lot of study time involved, but there's there's no possible way, in my opinion, and this is me speaking with 29 years of experience in the industry and having known a lot of people who have gained those skill sets and what was the one thing that everybody had in common, and it was that they got that equipment for their own home environment, and they used that equipment in their own home environment. They set up the you know, the secure configurations for themselves. They locked it all down in their own home environment, and they had to deal with the consequences of breaking things by locking it down. And it's a very, very effective strategy because you get to play without consequences. I mean, the only consequences you really have are that you're breaking your own stuff and maybe you're breaking it for your family. But hey, it's all within your power to fix because you're the one who made the changes. So you should know what changes were made so that you can go and, you know, change it back or make some corrective configurations. So ultimately, what is necessary is that you have your own equipment. Now, the question becomes, well, I, I think maybe two things. One, why can't you just virtualize it and do it all? And I'll answer that in a moment here. Um, but so you have to have your, you know, you have to have your, your own equipment and you can't do virtualization. And the question becomes, what equipment do you get? So I put together a little list of the minimum list of reasonably easy to obtain equipment that is really, as far as I'm concerned, no more expensive than you taking some college classes. So if you're really looking to become employable, I would argue, sure, go ahead and take the college classes, but be cognizant of those limitations that I specified, that it doesn't give you really viable hands-on experience. It doesn't answer the questions that you, you need to be able to have answers for if you're going to be directly employable. So you need to invest in yourself. And the best way to invest in yourself is you get that equipment. So now why is virtualization of network equipment a non-functional strategy? I firmly believe it's a non-functional strategy. There are things that, like VirtualBox as an example, you should be able to theoretically get some virtualized switches and then mess around with things and configurations and so forth. Well, first off, you would actually have to have the virtualization hardware to run that on. And, you know, people who don't have, um, people who are looking to have virtualized switches and virtualized network layer security appliances, 
generally don't have the server hardware to be doing to virtualizing that. And then it's also it's abstracting it at a layer that just is making it significantly more complex. And you just can't do the same sorts of configurations and testing and learning with something that is virtualized. You'll also find that it doesn't work quite the same as if you had a real piece of equipment. So with a real switch, for example, or a real network layer security appliance, you can take a uh, an IP surveillance camera, an IP speaker, an IP desk phone, a wireless access point. You can plug all of those things into the switch and you can test how they work. You can experience how they work, what works, what doesn't work. Okay, I make this config change. What happened? You don't have the ability to do that if what you're doing is virtualizing those switches. And you also get zero experience when you're trying to do switch virtualization. You don't get any experience of the challenges of if you have like uh, an HP Comware switch and then you have a, a Procurve switch and you have a Cisco switch and you have an Exos switch and you're trying to make all these things actually work together. You don't get that experience when you're doing switch virtualization. So in my personal experience, I think switch virtualization as a training mechanism has zero efficacy. Absolutely useless. I've never seen any value in it myself. People that I know that have gone through academic training where they used network appliance and switch virtualization, they got nothing out of it. Like, you know, when those people left that class, they did not understand basic networking that they were supposed to learn from that class. <clears throat> so was that the fault of the switch virtualization? Uh, I, I can't say for sure. What I can say for sure is that all the people that I know that know networking really well, they've all learned with real equipment, interfacing real equipment with real equipment. And they've all had direct, tangible, firsthand experience. So my big challenge to you is go and invest in yourself. And the best way to invest in yourself is you get the right equipment. So let's start with number one item to go procure is I would argue that a Synology NAS in the model of DS Delta SAM 218 is a very good NAS to have. I suggest getting Seagate Iron Wolf Pro hard drives for that NAS. You must use NAS rated hard drives. Now that thing can be, you can set it up as a file share. You can set it up as a TFTP server, an FTP server. It's got hyper backup, active backup. You could use it to back up your Office 365 tenant. I mean, you can do so much with that. It's just, it's bonkers how much cool stuff you can do with that NAS. And last time I checked on Amazon, it was like 250 bucks. The hard drives are not that expensive. You may have some hard drives laying around that you can just put in there. But if you're going to buy hard drives, I would absolutely recommend that you use Seagate Iron Wolf Pro, not Seagate Iron Wolf, but Seagate Iron Wolf Pro instead. And they really should be NAS rated hard drives. Anything that's not a NAS rated hard drive is probably not going to have the kind of heat tolerance that can build up inside of a NAS. Now that NAS itself there has uh, two interfaces. If you want to really do some more sophisticated stuff, get a four interface NAS. If you want to do some really, really sophisticated stuff, get a 10 gig NIC in a six bay NAS and uh, set up lots of fun different things there. 
So when you have more than one NIC to work with, you can do OBM VLAN, uh, man you can do like management interfaces, you can have different services on the NAS that run uh, on different VLANs in a totally isolated ACL manner, and you can experience what it's like to bind services to different IPs and different interfaces. You can massage and manage binding orders, which matters a lot, by the way. So challenge yourself with that. Do lots of fun things with that. Then you need some domain and DNS hosting. Okay, getting a domain and DNS. Um, I would go with domains made easy and uh, DNS made easy. Those are my preferences. And you will learn the most from, you know, those particular uh, hosting platforms. And then go buy an Office 365 tenant for yourself. <clears throat> you know, you can get an Office 365 tenant for like, you know, 150 bucks a year because you'd be getting like business premium licensing. So let's just say that's $150 a year for a single user. Okay. And, you know, your global admin account does not need to be licensed. So there, now you've got an Office 365 tenant. You're setting up domain DNS hosting, which is like less than 60 bucks a year. And you've got a NAS. Now, what else do I need? Well, then you need a network layer security appliance. And that network layer security appliance, I would absolutely recommend a WatchGuard Firebox, either that or a, a Fortinet FortiGate appliance. I cannot possibly recommend any other appliances. I, I think everything else is either technologically insufficient, it's management insufficient or training insufficient, or just it's got some problem or another. Uh, in some cases, like a force point appliance starts at like $20,000. You know, that's just ridiculous, right? And so you can get a small watch guard firebox. Now, I, I do suggest that, you know, get start with something that's in your budget, but you also have to start with something that has the horsepower that you could utilize it as a core router. You know, it's a totally different strategy if you're going to use something as a perimeter-only appliance versus something that you're going to use it as a core network layer security appliance. And you won't learn networking if you're only trying to utilize a network layer security appliance as a perimeter device. You must, must learn how to use it as a core router. So many VLANs, trunking, VLAN presentation on link aggregation groups, hardcore ACLs, different security zone profiles, um, lots of packet inspection, lots and lots and lots of fun, happy things going on there. And um, so you're going to have to buy some appliance, right? You can't just go find some old junkaroonie that doesn't have an active fireware subscription on it. It has to have total security suite or you're just going to be messing around. And there's no point in trying to learn network security if you don't actually have the network security features to work with. So, <clears throat> you know, if you could get your hands on an old out-of-date firebox, that's better than no firebox, but just really drastically understand the limitations of that. And you can't put new fireware on an old firebox. It has to have an active subscription on it. So that's going to be the thing that's the most expensive. And my suggestion for something that you're going to use as a core router is I wouldn't go 
any less than probably a T80. If you look at the price difference between a T40, a T50, and a T80, that's not really that much. And I really think that the T80 is the minimum that I would ever use for a core router style network layer security appliance that is functioning as a perimeter device at the same time, right? It's doing all of that. And uh, you're doing it for your little home office uh, and you're going to have some level of sophistication going on there. I I wouldn't waste time on anything other than a, a T80 or a T290, something of that ballpark. So then you have to have some connectivity between that network layer security appliance and uh, switching. So you're going to need a switch that does at least layer three light. The switch doesn't have to be so sophisticated that it has, you know, DHCP services or routing. Now, at the end of the day, though, my experience is that when you try to play games with layer three light switches, you will just be very disappointed. I know they drive me up a wall with their lack of functionality, the lack of things that I think are basic standard functionality. So I would just as soon as get an Extreme Exos 440G2 PoE switch. Now, if you go out to eBay, you can find X440G2s. Now, don't, don't get kind of sucked into people or trying to sell 440s out there that are the non-G2 format. Don't get sucked into that because those are really, really, really old switches. So the X440G2 is the switch to get. And you should be able to find some inventory on eBay. I would get the PoE model for sure. They do have some 12Ps and there's some 24Ps. But you then have to get a, you know, if you're going to get these, if you're going to get these off of eBay, typically you're going to get them with uh, an older firmware like version 22 something. And the most recent firmware, I think, is like 37. Don't quote me on that. Anyways, it's 30 something. It's 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 up there, right? It's vastly higher than 22. So you need to get your hands on the new firmware as well, because then you can go download the manual for the command line for Exos, you know, for like version 30 something. And then you can start working on that. And that I swear is the best way to learn networking is you're going to take your firebox and you're going to do a lag trunk between it and the switch. And then you're going to do magical things on the switch. You're going to have OBM VLANs and you need to get an enterprise grade wireless access point. Now, these are, you know, typically two different flavors. There's going to be those that are cloud controller and those that are local controller. And you may be able to find one that is a local controller model like uh, a Wing AP7522 is a great example of that. And, you know, you don't know what the firmware version is that's going to be on that WAP when it arrives. And you know that it's not going to have whips or anything sophisticated like that. But can you learn how to configure networking for two SSIDs and uh, a WAP management VLAN and do uh, supply chain risk management configurations. So, because this is the name of the game, right? You have got to do micro segmentation and supply chain risk management 
network configuration. You know, the bottom line is nothing should be talking to anything unless you've explicitly allowed it to do so. And the realm of the olden days of just saying, oh, I'm going to plug this thing in and just you let it talk to whatever. Those, I mean, like that's dead. That's been dead a really long time. Micro segmentation is nothing new. I mean, I remember doing it in like 1996 and 1997. Now in cybersecurity insurance requirements, segmentation is mandatory. But now if you're also going to be doing supply chain risk management, you must, must be doing micro segmentation. So, you know, if you had like an IDRAC enterprise on a server, that IDRAC enterprise needs to be on a server OBM VLAN, totally isolated, needs to have special ACLs around that. And you're controlling what it talks to and what can talk to it. So next thing you should probably be investing in at that point is a small power edge server, because you can't learn servers if you don't have one. And if you're expecting an employer to hire you, and then start giving you access to client servers when you have inadequate or non-existent server experience, you are just hallucinogenic because it is the employer's responsibility to only assign people to do work whose judgment and experience they can trust to do that work. You know, that's why the clients hire them. So, you know, your learning experience is not on the client's equipment. That's just, again, hallucinogenic. So if you are trying to have the skill set that says, I want to work at the cybersecurity company and I want to secure servers and networks and, and cloud infrastructure and I want to secure all this stuff, you have to have experience. So I looked out on the Dell Outlet website, which is outlet.dell.com, and for around $2,000 or less, you can get a small Dell PowerEdge server, and you can get it with an iDRAC Enterprise. So you'd want to have something that you could run at least the hypervisor on and a couple VMs, and I would strongly suggest utilizing Hyper-V just because Hyper-V is much more widely used in the SMB environment. You know, you'll see people talk about VMware and VMware is, you know, all fine and dandy for really, really, really large consulting firms or large companies who have fully certified VMware engineers and who are going to go through all the certification training and who are going to continue to invest in that training and those certification exams, uh, and it is a very specialized knowledge base as opposed to, you know, and I'm not saying Hyper-V isn't specialized, but the problem is that there's so many nuances and idiosyncrasies in VMware that if you don't have, if you're not like connected to the right people to be able to know the right things and, oh, here's this, this little nuance and that little thing, then you could really find yourself in, in quite a bit of a bind where you could be getting into VMware and, um, you know, really just get stuck. And that is one of the reasons why it's not real heavily utilized in the SMB environment. Now, if you do want to go down the whole VMware route, I would suggest you get involved in the VMware users groups. I think for less than a couple, maybe 300 bucks a year, 
you can get, I think, 10 licenses of VMware for internal use. So that can be, you know, cost effective, but that's not, I, I don't personally think that that's, you know, whether or not somebody knows VMware from my perspective is really, frankly, irrelevant. Because if you know Hyper-V and you can manage Hyper-V, you can know and manage VMware. They're not totally, you know, it's not like, woo, so totally different. I actually think it's a lot easier to take somebody who understands Hyper-V really well and to simply translate that experience and expertise into VMware versus the other way around. Because VMware is just, uh, it's such a different animal. And um, so there we go. That's, that's it. So in terms of let's invest in yourself, it's first going to be get a NAS, get a Synology NAS DS218, get some hard drives in it, set that thing up, start running services on it. You can put active backup on it. You can use that active backup on the NAS to back up your Office 365 tenant and your little servers that you're going to run. And, you know, if you're concerned about that you don't have money for Windows Server licensing, well, start off with Ubuntu Server and Ubuntu Desktop as VMs I think Microsoft still has the uh, Hyper-V hypervisor as a free license. I never use it that way. So, you know, I am not going to be an expert on the licensing on that one. I personally would just as soon as be learning on real Windows server operating systems that are modern, like 2022, which you can get like a 120 day trial on. So that's an option, but it is worth investing in that licensing for yourself as well. So uh, recap, network layer security appliance like a WatchGuard Firebox. You can get a layer three network switch off of eBay. Get an enterprise grade wireless access point. Get a little mini Dell PowerEdge server, but you got to have the iDRAC Enterprise. You need to learn how to patch that iDRAC, patch all the firmware, patch the drivers for the OS, um, patch every little aspect of it, including the power supply. So the power supply unit and other types of updates do not come through the catalog. You've got to learn how to navigate how to go find on the manufacturer's website the actual updates for you to be able to deploy. And then how do you deploy them? What's the order that you deploy them in? Should I patch the VMs first? Should I patch Hyper-V first? Should I patch the hardware first? These are all questions you need to figure out. You need to learn business continuity and disaster recovery. You need to be doing the BCDR plan for your own stuff. You can't be doing these things for clients if you're not even qualified to take care of your own environment. So again, my opinion, your best return on investment, the highest dollar value return on investment and the highest level of satisfaction is when you have these things yourself, you've created your own Office 365 tenant, you've got your own domain DNS hosting, you're working with that and you'd be surprised how cool those little NASs are. You can do tons and tons of things on there. You could even host some web servers on there, you know, if you 
if you wanted to. <clears throat> so uh, as always, I'm looking for job candidates. Anyone who has the skill sets that I have described where you think you are the hot stuff with these things, I want to hear from you. And send us, uh, go to qpcsecurity.com, fill out the contact form. I'd be quite happy to send you my technical interview. You can do the technical interview and then we will see how you do on the technical interview. And, you know, best of luck. And hopefully you too shall soon be a cybersecurity systems and network engineer. Well, this is Felicia King, and uh, hope you found this useful as a tactical approach, uh, not only strategic, but also tactical and direct and actionable, which is, I think, the thing that most of the job candidates that I've talked to have been very frustrated by is they, they, have, they know they have these knowledge gaps, and they just aren't sure how to close those knowledge gaps. So that's what we tried to address here today.